City. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. You have children. Do you hate it when your children fight and don't get along? Sure you do. You can't stand that. You want your children to get along. Well, God's heart is just like that. If brethren fight, if his children fight and don't have unity, that disturbs him. So the opposite is true. It pleases God when his children love one another, just as it pleases you. Secondly, we love one another. It's important because it communicates to the world that we belong to Jesus Christ. How does the world know that you're a Christian? Well, John chapter 13 tells us, In John chapter 13, Jesus laid it out very clear for his disciples, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. But he didn't stop there. He said, by this, by what? By love. Will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another? The world has a legitimate right to hold us up to the standards of this truth. first session in the series, Biblical Instructions for Godly Living, Pastor Steve Kreloff started to teach us about the importance of brotherly love. He also explained how hospitality fit into brotherly love. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Today we will continue to talk about the reasons for brotherly love. In our first session, Pastor Steve gave us two reasons. The first is because it pleases God. And the second is because it communicates to those around us that we belong to Jesus. In just a couple of minutes, Pastor Steve is going to give us a third reason why brotherly love is so important. Once again, we will be back in Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 4. Here is Pastor Steve. First of all, loving the brethren is important. That's not to say, by the way, that we're not to love those who are not the brethren, but we have a special place in our hearts for God's people. The world hates believers. We love believers, but we are to love all. Why is it so important for us to love fellow Christians? Number one, because it pleases God. If you want to please God and delight his heart, you love. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. You have children. Do you hate it when your children fight and don't get along? Sure you do. You can't stand that. You want your children to get along. Well, God's heart is just like that. If brethren fight, if his children fight and don't have unity, that disturbs him. So the opposite is true. It pleases God when his children love one another, just as it pleases you. Secondly, we love one another. It's important because it communicates to the world that we belong to Jesus Christ. How does the world know that you're a Christian? Well, John chapter 13 tells us. In John chapter 13, Jesus laid it out very clear for his disciples, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. But he didn't stop there. He said, by this, by what? By love. Will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another? The world has a legitimate right to hold us up to the standards of this truth. Our love testifies to the world that we belong to the one who demonstrated the greatest love by the greatest sacrifice. The world has a legitimate right to say, 
you are not a Christian because you are not loving your fellow Christians. As Francis Schaeffer said, love is the mark of the Christian. There's a third reason why this is important. It not only communicates to the world that we belong to Jesus Christ, it communicates to your own heart that you belong to Christ. It is one of the means by which God gives assurance of salvation. Now, some of us may struggle about assurance of salvation. You don't need to. You can know that you have eternal life. And one of the ways that we know that we have eternal life is because we have, first of all, a desire to love the brethren. Secondly, an attitude of love for the brethren. And then from that desire and attitude flows tangible ways in which we do care for the brethren. For example, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 says this, We know that we have passed out of death into life. How do you know that you've passed from spiritual death to spiritual life? How do you know that you're really a Christian? How do you know that you have legitimate, genuine faith? Well, John says we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. And that's supernatural to love God's people. Nobody else does. The world hates the believer. We love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. No matter what you say, if you don't have any love in your heart for God's people, you abide in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So sacrificing, ministering, doesn't mean that we die for one another, although that's possible, but that's not what this verse is really teaching. We lay down our own desires, our own inclinations in order to put others first. It's esteeming one another more important. Verse 17, but whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? If you see somebody in need and it's legitimate need and you have the resources to help them and you just say, I'll pray about it, or you don't even go that far, the Bible says, how does the love of God dwell in you? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Don't just say, we'll bring it to the prayer meeting. If you have the resources, and some of us don't, but if you have the resources, then you minister and you help. So that's very important. So we are to love one another, and we must continue, the Bible says, Hebrews 13, to show love. Even when we have our own headaches and our own troubles, we are still to love. And in the next three verses of Hebrews chapter 13, we're told some very tangible and practical ways we should demonstrate this love. So I'd encourage you to take notes. This is going to be very helpful for you if you apply it. We demonstrate brotherly love, first of all, by loving strangers through hospitality. Verse 2 says this, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Let's stop there for a moment. I know the verse goes on, but it says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. One tangible way to love people, and especially fellow Christians, is through hospitality, which means the love of strangers. And just a few weeks ago, we went over this, so I won't spend as much time dealing with this subject as I would have. The love of strangers. Now, brethren who are strangers to us should be treated as family. They may be strangers to you, but they're still family. When you meet some long-lost relative, you treat them as a long-lost relative. You didn't know them, but now you met them. And you are to treat them as if you knew them very well. That's what this is saying. Now, I told you a few weeks ago why this was important, and let me reiterate this. In the ancient world, traveling was not easy for Christians. And they did move around as they witnessed, as they had business in other parts of the Roman Empire. It was a very difficult thing to do because usually the public inns were not safe and they were generally morally offensive to believers. They were also expensive, they were not very clean, and they were just not pleasant places to stay. And as Christians traveled around the Roman Empire, they were to be treated with love by their fellow believers. And how should their fellow believers treat them with love? 
by hospitality, by opening their homes, by saying, here, you can stay with us. Now, we need to do this. It's a command. If you don't obey this command, you are sinning. It's a command. But we want to be very honest here, very frank, because the same question that comes to your mind, I believe, came to their mind. And it's this. But these people are strangers to me. I don't know them. What if they take advantage of our family's kindness? Now, isn't that what often keeps us from hospitality? What if they take advantage? Here, I want to be nice to somebody. I want to reach out. What if they exploit me? And, you know, that's a very valid question. It's a good question. It's a genuine concern. It was for them in the ancient world. It's a genuine concern for us today. Because there are people who take advantage of Christian love. They just want to really sponge off of you. And if you're going to love, if you're going to obey God's word, you do make yourself rather vulnerable to this sort of thing. And there are people who would take advantage. And I'll even take it a step further. Everyone who is willing to love people, to love someone, eventually gets taken advantage of. You might as well just say it's inevitable. You will be taken advantage of. Everyone who has ever said, I will love and does something, somewhere along the line gets taken. It's inevitable. So what do you do? Well, first of all, don't be naive or fail to use common sense where you see it's coming. But we often don't see it coming. So what do you do? You continue to love. You just love anyway. Because God's word tells you to love. And if somebody exploits you, and you will, somewhere along the way, God will still honor your love, and he'll deal with that person who exploited you. Don't worry about them. You are to still obey the word of God, even if they take advantage of you. The early church, that was very important. Hospitality was a major issue, and it still is, even though we have places for people to stay today as they travel. In fact, a man cannot be an elder unless he's hospitable. It's an extreme virtue. It's a high virtue. First Timothy 3.2 speaks about that. There were widows in the early church who could only receive help from the church if they had shown hospitality to others. If they did not show hospitality to strangers, love for strangers, then they could not be taken care of because they would not demonstrate godliness. That was one proof of godliness. First Peter 4.9 says, do it without complaining. Don't just do it, but do it without complaining. So we're not to avoid or neglect showing hospitality to strangers because of a bad experience. If you do that, you'll never be loving. And that's why the writer gives an incentive to hospitality in the next part of verse 2. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And here's just a little incentive. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Aha. Now let me explain this. What does this mean? Let me first tell you what it does not mean. It doesn't mean that you should be hospitable because you might entertain a supernatural being traveling incognito. That's not what this is saying. The possibility of entertaining angelic beings isn't to be our motivation for hospitality. What motivates us? It's love. That's what he's saying. Love motivates us, not that you might have an angel there. However, what this phrase means is this, is that during Old Testament times, there were people who displayed love to strangers by opening their homes to them, being hospitable, and in the process of reaching out to those people in love, some of those strangers turned out to actually be angelic beings. I think of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 18. Not only was it angelic beings, there were three men. One was the Lord, and then two angels with him. Lot also entertained angels, Gideon in Judges 6, and a man by the name of Manoah in Judges 13. So there were a few. There probably were more. This is just what the Bible records for us. 
Now, the point of verse 2 and the thought about angels is to say that we don't minister to get anything out of it. Otherwise, it's not genuine ministry. We ought to be hospitable because the love of Christ compels us to be. But in doing so, in being hospitable, God gives blessings that no one realized when they opened their homes to this stranger. In the case of some of these Old Testament believers, God gave the blessings of actual angelic beings. Now, Abraham, Abraham didn't look out and say, oh, it's the Lord and two angels. No, Abraham ran. You read that in Genesis 18. He was running here and there to minister. He didn't know who they were. But in reaching out to them, God blessed his heart and his desire to be hospitable, and he gave him the blessing of angels. We need to reach out and be hospitable, and God will give blessings. Yes, there may be some bummer experiences. There may be some bad experiences, but don't let that stop you because every once in a while, God gives you an incredible blessing. Is it just because you had a bad experience with hospitality? That's no reason to not obey this. Guests in your home may turn out to be people sent by God. You know what the word angel means? It means messenger. You may have messengers of God. You may have people that God has sent, not supernatural creatures, but you may have people that God has sent, although it's possible you would have supernatural creatures. It's possible, I want to say that, but not highly likely. But it is more likely that God will send people into your life to bless you. Some of the people that we have had to our homes and we have reached out to have turned out to be some of our closest and dearest friends and people who have ministered to us that we just could not imagine at the time that there would be such ministry there. And actually, we get the greatest blessing. If you are hospitable, you're not giving the greatest blessing. You're getting the greatest blessing. I went over this a few weeks ago, so I won't have you turn there now, but you should mark down Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 through 40, because Jesus said, what you do to even the least of my brethren, you do it to me. That's the greatest blessing. You treat any of the Lord's brethren in a hospitable, loving way, you're treating the Lord that way. And that is the greatest blessing, far greater than even ministering to angels, ministering to the Lord himself. Now, how can you apply this? Well, we really don't usually have, like in the ancient church, we don't usually have people traveling around like they did who don't stay in hotels. And you do have some people traveling around. But a more practical, concrete way is to have strangers to your home, people who go to this church, brethren who go to this church who you don't know, invite them over. Invite someone new. Invite someone who you want to get to know, someone who needs to be reached out to. And I will say this to those who have been reached out to, because there have been many at Lakeside in the last few weeks who have been reached out to and will be reached out to. Once that happens to you, you got to do it to others. you got to reach out to others. It's not like you're on the list for a year. When that happens to you, you have a responsibility. If you're a believer, you have to reach out to others too. So everybody does this. No one is exempt. This isn't just for elders. This is for everybody. So how do we show love to the brethren by loving strangers through hospitality? Say, but they're strangers. That's the point. They're strangers, so get to know them a little better. A second way we show love to the brethren is by loving prisoners through compassion. And I would expand this to say not only prisoners, but those who are mistreated, who are suffering, because the writer says that. Verse 3, he starts off by saying, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. Let's just stop here. First of all, he says, remember the prisoners. Some of the people in this Hebrew church were sent to prison for their faith. We looked at this when we studied chapter 10, and we have gone back many times, so I won't have you turn there, but chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, it says some of them were put in prison. In the early days of their Christian experience, they did show compassion to those who were arrested. Some really did go in the prison and minister to them and show genuine concern. And now the writer is urging them, don't forget those who are in prison. You are to remember them. Why is it so important to remember those in prison? 
Because in ancient times, prisoners depended on their family and relatives and friends to minister to their needs. A family member or friend could get into the prison, and they would be the ones ministering to them. How would they minister? They'd bring food and clothing and other necessities. And if they didn't do that, that person was neglected. The state didn't care for them. The state didn't give them three meals a day. If your friends neglected you and your family neglected you, you were in big trouble. In fact, we have some insight on this with Paul's prison experience in 2 Timothy Chapter 1, this is Paul's last letter, he's about to die, and he says in 2 Timothy 1.16, The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Probably came in and bathed Paul and gave him some food or whatever. Maybe brought him some cologne, I don't know. Some soap or something, he refreshed him, he ministered to him. Also, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Verse 13, he writes to Timothy, When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus. Bring my coat. It's cold here. Bring my coat. And the books, especially the parchments. So bring the reading material, bring my coat. You see, that's the flavor. That's the point. And that's why these people were not to neglect those who had been in prison. Now, the writer is calling for us to show compassion to those who are suffering, whether they be in prison or out of prison suffering. And the way we should do this is to put ourselves in their place and imagine what life would be like if you were there. That's why we read. We go on in verse 3. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves also are in the body. He's not saying that we have to starve in order to be sympathetic to those who are starving. He's just saying, imagine if you were in prison, how would you like to be treated? How would you like to be remembered? Well, if I was in prison, I'd want people to visit me. I want people to bring me food, books, magazines, letters. You see, it's the golden rule. It's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do so for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Whatever you would want people to do for you, you do for them, because the law and the prophets hang on this. It's called love. The last phrase of verse 3 says, since you yourselves also are in the body, does not refer to the body of Christ. I think what the writer is saying here is that we are all in a physical body, and therefore we know what it feels like to suffer. We know what it feels like to endure pain. In other words, our own suffering should make us sensitive to the sufferings of others. You're in a body too. You know what it's like. You don't have to be in prison or suffering to understand what that is. You're not out of this body. You see, this is one of the reasons why we go through pain, why God lets pain in our lives and sometimes sends pain into our lives in order for us to be sensitive to the pain of others. That's compassion. You feel for others because you've gone through it. You know what it's like. Before we leave the subject of loving prisoners and sufferers in general, I want us to realize the depths of the love that the early church demonstrated to prisoners because we are to do nothing less than this. There was a pagan orator by the name of Aristotes who wrote this, a pagan man, not a Christian, explaining how Christians minister to those who are in prison. He wrote this, If they hear that any one of their number is in prison or in distress for the sake of their Christ's name, they all render aid in his necessity, and if they can, they redeem him to set him free. What he's saying is they do whatever they can while he's in prison, and actually, if they can, they raise money to pay for him to be released. And I have discovered through my reading that some early Christians actually sold themselves into slavery to get money to set their fellow Christians free from prison. That's just amazing. But that's the kind of depth that we're to have. That's the kind of love that we're to have. And I wonder if we've lost that kind of love. I wonder if we've lost that kind of sensitivity to those in need. In a church like ours, and there are many people busy serving all kinds of ministries, 
I just caution us to be careful that we don't get so busy with board meetings and committee meetings and things that we have to get done that we fail to notice people who are suffering. It's easy to do. You can get so wrapped up in non-personal items, the building and the finances. And I know those things have to be dealt with. I realize that. But I just get very concerned that maybe in the midst of doing that, we get preoccupied with that other stuff and we neglect and overlook those who are hurting and have needs, and that's the priority. There's a balance. How can we love hurting people? Let me give you some very practical suggestions. Number one, just be there. Just be there to those who are hurting. Listen to them, and don't feel compelled that you've got to give them a sermon. Job's friends, the greatest way they could have ministered to Job is just sit there and listen, and just watch him, and don't take their eyes off of him, and let him pour out his heart. That's how they would have encouraged him. Instead, they tried to analyze why he was going through pain, and they didn't have a clue as to why he was going through pain. Secondly, another suggestion, give what they need if you can. If you have the resources, give it. It may be a meal. It may just be bringing over a meal to somebody who's been very sick, and they can't make a meal for their family. Be sensitive to that. It may mean giving some money. If you don't want them to know who gave it, then get a cashier's check. I mean, there are ways to do this. It may mean just getting groceries for them. Or it may mean clothing. There's a number of things that you can do. And not everybody has the resources to do that. It may be that you can, that you have to take care of your own family. And you just don't have any more to help. So what do you do then? Well, then you pray. And what I was saying before is don't just pray if you have the resources, but sometimes that's all we can give. In Colossians 4.18, Paul said to the Colossians, he said, remember my imprisonment. And what he was saying is, I know that you can't do anything but that. So that means so much to me. It means pray. That's what he meant, pray. So we show love to the brethren by, number one, loving strangers through hospitality. You're going to do that? If you're not, you're disobedient. Number two, by loving prisoners through compassion and for all people who suffer who are believers. If you don't do that, you're disobedient. And the third way we show love to the brethren is by loving our marriage partner through sexual purity. Verse four, let marriage, he writes, be held in honor among all. You know, it's one thing to love strangers and prisoners, but we're also to be loving to our spouse, our marriage partners. And that's where this fits. There are some Christians who just are always reaching out to others and always ministering and kind of neglect their family, especially their spouse. And the first step in being a loving husband or wife is to realize that marriage is honorable. What a great statement. Marriage is honorable. God created it. He honors it. And he tells us that we are to hold it in honor. You know, that's being challenged today. That's why it's very important for us to realize this. Marriage is being attacked from all different angles. It's being challenged as more and more people are questioning the need to get married. Some say it's so outdated. It's from our evolutionary past. It's so old-fashioned. Well, it's just a piece of paper. What does that mean? Or if they do get married, people will see it as a temporary setup. That If you find somebody who looks better, or makes more money, or makes you feel better, then you just get out of this marriage and get into some other marriage. And so marriage is really being questioned today. It's really being challenged. I want you to understand something. Verse 4, it may look like this, especially in the King James Version, it looks like it is a statement of fact that marriage is honorable. And that's a true statement. Marriage is honorable, but I don't think that's the writer's point here. It's not really a statement of fact because all the other verses are commands. Command about hospitality, command about strangers. This is a command too. It's not a statement of fact. Also, the verb is, is not in the original Greek. 
that was added by those who translated it. It's not. In other words, what he is saying is he's calling for couples to honor their marriages. Let marriage be held in honor. It is honorable, yes, that's true, but let marriage be held in honor. In other words, treat your marriage as an honorable thing. And how do we do that? You have been listening to Verse by Verse with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. We've been learning about brotherly love. Toward the end of today's lesson, Pastor Steve gave us three ways to show brotherly love. Hospitality, loving prisoners, and having sexual purity in our marriages. Now before the start of this session, did you expect to hear those things as they apply to brotherly love? It was an interesting session, and next time Pastor Steve is going to continue teaching us about brotherly love. I would like to mention the Verse by Verse podcast. It's a great way to hear the teaching of Pastor Steve when it works with your schedule. If you surf over to versebyverseradio.org, look for the podcast link on the right-hand side of your screen. There you will be able to sign up for the podcast and not miss a single part of Verse by Verse. We're out of time today, but I hope you can join us on the next Verse by Verse program. 